Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Thursday, February the 28th. I'm your host, D.A., and the Celtics are a mess. We've talked about them this week. There's a lot of attention on them following the All-Star break. Kyrie Irving has looked like he is lost, unwanting to be the leader of this team, and perhaps as good as gone as soon as the season is over. And last night, another game, another loss. So what has happened to the Boston Celtics this year? Were expectations too high? Is Kyrie really not a leader? Is Brad Stevens part of the problem? Dale Arnold and Rich Keefe on WEEI in Boston spoke to Celtics GM Danny Ainge to try to get answers. Is it safe to say that this season, to this point, has been a bit frustrating for you? Uh, Yeah, I think it's been a little bit frustrating. Um, I, I think that one of the challenges that you have going into a season always is being able to manage expectations. Um, and I think that the expectations were probably a little bit higher than we deserved just because this team hadn't played together and guys coming off injuries and so forth. But though they were what they were, and we haven't been the team that everyone expected. And I think a lot of people um, internally take those things harder than they should at times. But at the same time, um, I think we all, even in spite of some of the challenges we've had with injuries and developing a good chemistry, I think that we all have still underachieved in spite of even the high expectations. Now, the great Antoine Walker was on TV the other day, and he was talking about Kyrie Irving, and he said he's a great player, he's a superstar, he's a great closer, but he's not a leader. Is that a fair assessment of Kyrie? I do not think so, no. Um, like I said, there's, you know, Kyrie has a lot of amazing leadership characteristics and qualities. Um, I, I don't really know the perfect leader, but I think that that's why I say it takes more than one because I've been around some great players that were recognized as great leaders, but in my opinion, they weren't great leaders, but they were great players that got a lot of credit for leading great teams. And they had a lot of flaws in their leadership abilities. But I think that when you lose, the star players take the brunt, coaches take the brunt of it. When you win, they probably get too much of the credit for it. And you guys all know that, uh, being involved in sports as long as you have. And But I think that Kyrie has an impact on games. That's leadership impacting games the way he does, taking games over, being mentally tough to make shots in the face of adversity is leader, 
is a form of leadership, being able to influence people with his work ethic and his passion for the game and how much time he puts in on his craft and how much time he works on becoming a great player and his commitment to that is in itself uh, influencing people to leadership. And then just his, like I said, his, his ability to take over games, the inspiration that he gives our crowd and his teammates and gets our, our bench up, you know, going, wow. I mean, all of those are amazing forms of leadership that he has. And I mean, if you're inspiring people and you're influencing people and you're impacting the game, that is, a, that's great leadership. On the list of issues that you feel your team might have, is Brad Stevens on the list? No. Um, and, and that's not to say that, that Brad can't do some things better because I, I don't see what the things are that he needs to do better, but he does. And he feels like he needs to do better. And, you know, we all have a, a role to play in this and, and, Success uh, has many fathers, and and failure is uh, I don't know I can't remember what the saying is. The rest of that saying is <laughs> dies an orphan. Is an orphan, yeah, is an orphan. Now, you know I think that we all have things that we can do better. I, I guess is the best way to put that, and we're working to, on that. And I know Brad is he's relentlessly working on that every day, and. But he's the least by far of all the things that I'm worried about as we prepare for the postseason. See, it's easy to say now that expectations were too high before the season. Were the Celtics running away from those expectations? I don't think so. I think that's kind of a convenient excuse now. But let's face it, at the beginning of the season, it was a Celtics team that was supposed to get better with Kyrie Irving and better with Gordon Hayward. And I'm sure that Danny Ainge felt like he had built a better team, and yet here we are, and they are worse than they were last season. Also, let's not be too soft on Brad Stevens at this point in time. Nobody's calling him a bum, but he has to share some of the blame for the problems of bad chemistry in that locker room of the season and very disjointed play. And Kyrie Irving clearly is not the leader he may think he is based on his actions, his attitude, his body language this season. Last night in Miami, a classic Dwayne Wade moment. At the buzzer, off balance, a heave from the three-point arc, banks in, and a two-point deficit for the Miami Heat turns into a one-point win on the three, defeating the two-time defending world champion Golden State Warriors. What a classic Dwayne Wade moment in front of the home fans. And this brought up the question on the Joe Rose Show on WQAM in Miami. What was the greater last second play in Miami this year? Was it last night's Dwayne Wade miracle or the Miami Dolphins Miami miracle? Forgive me. I hope other people thought it this morning too as you're you're getting up early and driving in. So D Wade hits uh, just uh, one of those shots that that's a big part now of his his resume. Just a, a great moment. Uh, you know, I know they're not playing right now as a, a number one or two seater on the great teams that they've had in the past, but the shot he hit. So one foot banker last night for the win against the world champion Golden State Warriors. Kenyon Drake, of course, against had his miracle in Miami on the last play. 
heavy odds at 99 point something percent. It never happens. He ends up scoring with no time left to beat the Patriots, who go on and never lose another game the rest of the year <laughs> and win a championship. Uh, Got to ask everybody today, like, uh, which ones you enjoy more? Oof, man, I knew this was going to pop up today. Um, you know, it's like Miracle in Miami, too, last night. Miracle in Miami with Kenyon Drake. The new Miami Miracle. I, That's uh, it. Well, whatever names people come up with uh, on the two plays, I- I'll say the one thing. One was Dwayne Wade and one was Kenyon Drake. That's the only way I look at it right now. One uh, and you brought and it's no offense to Kenyon Drake no, or, no, no, or no, Kenny no. Stills and Devonte any of those one, guys. One's involved. adding on to his uh, to his just unbelievable as the greatest player in this town, the history of this town in sports. And last night he did it again in such a dramatic fashion. Like the Miami Miracle was something we might not ever see again. That's fine. Last second jumpers in the NBA you might see every night. The difference is against the best team in the league, it was Dwayne Wade, our guy, at the end of the game. Yeah. Once well, again, see, we've seen it so many times. See guys, you're going to see guys make those three-point winners. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that happened there almost might be every two night. Two more tonight. Who knows? But but you're right. The way it was done, the Ugh. shot gets blocked, one foot, beaten, beaten time, not father time, but beating the time clock. To get that shot, I think he called bank. It'd be really cool if he just said, by the way. I'm good with that. I looked he at Kenyon, can say it all day long. I, I, I looked over Kevin Durant and said, bank. Bank. And just Would walked off awesome. the court. But anyway, listen, it was a great moment last night. And uh, Kenyon Drake's, of course, had a big buzz. So, uh, yeah, we'd ask everybody out there this morning, uh, if you want to join us on the Kindle Toyota and West Kindle Toyota text line 56022. You can make any comments like, hey, it's not even close, Joe. Shut up. Dwayne Wade's much bigger, Kenyon Drake, and what that group did together. And, of course, Kenyon Drake's just one, the biggest piece of it, but not the only piece of it. But he's the final piece of the Miami Miracle. That was the difference. He made the big uh, the, the cut at the end, the Gronk uh, cut. He, he made That was big. He made a guy miss behind him who uh, probably keeps running, maybe make. There were just a lot of things I that took the, place. But how about the irony of the fact Those two plays are by themselves. Though. Oh, no, of course. But the irony that it's against the two best teams in both yeah, leagues. how about that? Against the Warriors teams and against the Pats? Teams that both won championships. You couldn't make that up. No, here. no. I don't know if that's good or bad, though. We're talking about two teams that were both out of the playoffs at the time that this took place. Well, that's where we are, though. <laughs> we got to talk about great games and, gr- and great plays and shots. Why do you think we're celebrating this stuff? Because we don't celebrate playoff games and championships. Yeah. This but is, anyway, our, this hey, is man, our Super Bowl. Let's not take away from, from what happened. No. Uh, boy, I tell you, D-Way, 25 points on the night. I'm voting for the football one. I'm voting for a crazy, unbelievable lateral slash lateral slash lateral return for a touchdown by Kenyon Drake, where it seemed like the Dolphins, there was no way they could win, defeating the would-be Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots, in front of the home crowd, Gronk stumbling on the sideline. Everything about that, to me, was as crazy and chaotic and nuts and enjoyable as you could possibly have at the end of a football game. I don't know, as great as Dwayne Wade is, how that could top the miracle in Miami with the Dolphins and the way that that ended against a hated rival at home in one of only 16 games in an NFL season. The New York Giants are at the Combine, as is the other 31 teams of the NFL, perhaps looking for a quarterback. It appeared that perhaps the New York Giants are finally turning the page on Eli Manning and will look to draft his would-be successor in the first round. But 
At the end of the day, can you trust that the Giants will get it right? Can Dave Gettleman in that front office figure out how to turn this ship around? The Giants have been non-competitive for far too long. Let's listen in to Mike Francesa on WFAN in New York. They stink on the offensive line. They stink on the defensive line. They were atrocious defensively last year. And for a lot of the season, they couldn't block anybody. They were a bad football team with some good skill players. And they need a lot of work. And if they don't believe, and if they aren't committed to bringing, to using every pick and every chip and every dollar to try to put a good team around Eli Manning, then send Eli Manning packing. What is the point of bringing him back here for one last year if you're not bringing him back here to win? It makes no sense. If the effort and the rebuilding job is too big for one year, that's a fair assessment. But have a damn opinion about what's got to be done here. This half-weighing, it doesn't work. And having two or three guys, the last thing I want to hear out of the general manager who did a lousy job last year, the last thing I want to hear out of him is, well, I think a good quarterback competition. What would that prove? That you spend a lot of resources on more than one quarterback and you don't know which one you want to play? So they can both play behind a lousy offensive line? I mean, own up, first of all, to your mistakes from last year. You owned up to some of them because you cut them. You thought you had guys who could play. They couldn't. When in week seven, you're cutting your right starting right guard and your starting right tackle, you're admitting you did a terrible job in building your team. You're admitting you completely struck out as a personnel guy. If I'm cutting the guys that I started on opening day uh, before week seven, I admit I don't know what I was doing. I did everything wrong. If you believe in Eli Manning, then show it. If you don't believe in Eli Manning or think the rebuilding job is too big, then go in that direction. But the halfway stuff will put you back at 7 and 9 if you're lucky. It doesn't work. Either put your resources and your efforts into one way or put them into a complete rebuilding job. And then bring in a quarterback with the sixth pick or a free agent quarterback and go about your business. But to bring back a guy who has been here for 15 years and then maybe replace him halfway through the season means you will get nothing out of this season. If you bring in a kid at six and don't use that pick to get a player who can either rush the quarterback or protect the quarterback, you've done a terrible job in assessing your own team. Because that pick, if Eli's your quarterback, that guy has to be a guy who can step in from the sixth spot in the draft and either block for Eli or go tackle the opposing quarterback. Because you need both. How is another quarterback going to help Eli Manning win next year? The answer is he's not. So you've taken one of your biggest assets and allocated it for something that can't possibly help. Which shows me you don't know what you're doing. First, make a commitment. We're in on Eli. We're out on Eli. See if you can do that first. Then get back to me. And if you're in on him, that means you're in all the way. None of this halfway crap. Because nothing good happens that way. You'll have another losing season. And there's sure been enough of those around the Giants recently. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mike's right. I don't know how you can trust this organization right now with the rebuild effort. You did a terrible job in building your team. Yes, they drafted Saquon Barkley, but Barkley was the obvious pick for so many people. Where have they really uncovered diamonds of the rough? And this goes back to the Jerry Reese days. As a general manager, Reese had flamed out and whiffed on so many picks as well. First, make a commitment. We're in on Eli. We're out on Eli. See if you can do that first. Then get back to me. Look, this New York Giants franchise desperately wants to be a winner. They want to fill up that stadium, and they're embarrassed by the way the last couple of seasons have gone. But there's no evidence right now that this is a team that's on the rise or on the come unless they really nail this quarterback selection. There's a lot of pressure on Gettleman, and there's a lot of pressure on him taking and retooling a roster that had really gone down in flames under Reese and getting it back up to speed and quickly. Does Bryce Harper want to go to Philadelphia? Does he want to go to Los Angeles? Will the Dodgers go any more than just a couple of years in a short-term deal? All question marks surrounding Bryce Harper and his free agent saga. How about the San Francisco Giants? Are they willing to go all the way in a 10-year deal? Former Major League Baseball General Manager Steve Phillips of MLB Network joined the Sports Junkies, a 106.7 The Fan in D.C., and is suggesting that perhaps the Dodgers are warming to the idea of going longer than just a couple of years for Bryce. You know, Scott Boris has been saying all along is that they're not taking a short-term deal. They're taking a long-term deal with opt-outs. Uh, and uh, so the Dodgers going for the second visit, you don't go visit unless, if you know the rules and you're still visiting, then you know what? You're, you're in it potentially 10 years. So it feels like this negotiation is shifted to the West Coast. Uh, and that the Phillies, who seem like they might be the only game in town, uh, you know, the, the door is open. And, and it, what it feels like is that Bryce Harper never really wanted to go to Philadelphia. And it also feels a little bit like he never really wanted to stay in Washington. Uh, as, uh, you know, the, I mean, listen, when you get a $300 million offer right away, you know, what they expected they get, uh, and yeah, I guess was maybe closer to 400000 The market's not there for that, it doesn't seem. But, uh, it just seems surprising that they immediately dismiss, and, and in the response to the Nationals, had to at least give them some sense that, you know, it's not really going to be a, a factor if that's your range. We're going higher than that to chase them away as well. Steve, I know you know Kevin Kennedy very well, and I heard him on a radio show this morning, a national show this morning, and he said that he knows for a fact that the reason Bryce doesn't want to go to Phillies because he does not like Gabe Kapler, doesn't want to play for him. Is that something that's accurate, hmm. or is that just an opinion? Yeah, I've not heard that. I, I've not heard that at all. What I've heard is that, that uh, you know, just comfort-wise for his family, ideally he wants to play on the West Coast. You know, he's from Las Vegas. It's closer to home and that. But I, I have not heard any sort of issue. And, you know, and it's funny because it sounded like after the meeting that the Phillies had that the connection that Harper and, and, and Kapler made was a good one. Now, that might have been from Gabe Kapler's perspective, but, uh, I, I had not heard that. I don't, I don't know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I've heard more about the family being a fit there. Now, the other thing is that Bryce Harper wants an opt-out after three years. Uh, and the Phillies, I heard, preferred an opt-out after five years. 
I don't look at that necessarily as a deal breaker. At least it wouldn't be for me. Quite honestly, I'll give you the, the, the opt-out after three, and I hope you take it. Because mm-hmm. I'll take your best three years of the next ten. I'll pay you for them. And I'm more than happy if you leave because, you know, at some point people are going to get the declining performance. And I'll go get the next 26-year-old, give him a 10-year deal with an opt-out after three, and hope he opt-out as well because right. I think that's the better bang for the buck and the way to go. So opt-outs don't really worry me. Now, the reason Harper wants an opt-out after three years is that Mike Trout's a free agent after two. Mm-hmm. And what Harper wants to do, have a couple good years and try to ride the coattails of Mike Trout into the annual average value of a bigger contract because Trout, you know, where we see Arenado at 32.5, Trout's going to be closer to $40 million a year. And I think what Harper's hoping is that, that three years from now, if I opt out, I can get close to Trout more than the $32.5 million a year and, you know, turn this deal into a more significant deal because Mike Trout set a new path and set a new bar, and I'm going to try to raise it. This would be really out of left field part of the pun if the Dodgers, who never break the bank on major free agents and have built a nice team that has gone to back-to-back World Series and won the division for about a billion years straight, this should be quite the story of suddenly they are willing to break the bank and pay all of the money to a free agent signee on the open market. It's very un-Dodger-like under this current regime. It seemed like they were only going to go short-term deal, but... If they're willing to go 10 years, you know Bryce Harper is jumping on that. He has wanted to be a Dodger seemingly the entire time and just played the room along with Scott Boris to get the best deal. But if the Dodgers want to pull out all the stops and go 10 years, you know he's all in on that. Perhaps there's a team option that they can trigger three or four years down the road. But if Bryce Harper gets all of his money that he wants and he gets all of the year that he wants, and it's a decision between the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Phillies, it's a no-brainer. I would stay away from a 10-year deal for Bryce Harper. I would have stayed away from a deal for 10 years for Manny Machado. But good on Bryce if he gets that deal, but I don't know why the Dodgers suddenly would do an about-face now. Kyler Murray weighs in, measures into the combine, and the breaking news of the day is it's 5-10 and an eighth. Some who thought that Kyler Murray was perhaps 5'9 and change. The official height of measurements for the combine, 5'10 and 1'8. 5'10 and 1'8 plus 207 pounds is what he's weighing in at right now. On San Diego Sports Radio, Dan Cilio was joined by Mike Lombardi, former NFL executive. Is Kyler Murray's height going to be a problem or are we making too big a deal out of this? I know the game is a little bit different, but Mike, why are why are we blowing this up again here? Is it because of the position? Oh, I think so. I think there's no clearly no doubt, and I think when you look at the reality, nobody cites an example. They just say he's great. They just use that terminology. Well, he's great. You know, he is great at Oklahoma. There's no doubt. He played incredible. But in the National Football League, you have to throw the ball from the pocket. I mean, if you just go back and watch Patrick Mahomes play against the the Patriots, if you watch Jared Goff play against the Patriots, if you watch. Philip Rivers play against the Patriots. When you get into championship-level football, the defensive line is going to force the quarterback to stay in the pocket and make throws. Now, Rivers' Rivers protection broke down. It was difficult for him. I think what you saw with Mahomes was he couldn't step up and make those great plays that he typically makes, whether he throws it right-handed or left-handed. They were forcing him to go out of the back of the pocket. And then Jared Goff was getting pressure inside in the pocket, and it became a problem for him. So, you know, we can talk about it all. This is great conversations in February and March, but to win a championship – 
you're going to have to throw the ball from the pocket under pressure with people around you. If you think a 5'10 guy can do that, then you stand alone. Absolutely. I'm not doing it either. I'm making you the face of my franchise. Uh, I think he does go, though, Mike, in the first round. Do you? I th- oh, I think he's definitely going to go in the first round. I think there's no doubt. I think he's the first. You know, I think teams are going to see him as a first round pick. But I, I still think it comes back to the situation where you got to evaluate where he fits in terms of if you're building a championship team. I think Jimmy Johnson said it really well. You know, look, he could be. You know, he could win a lot of games for you, or he could get hurt early in the game. I mean, there's a difference between what he can do. I mean, if you talk to any player that played against him or Baker Mayfield, including guys in the last year in the NFL. They'll tell you Mayfield came back to the huddle and had a hard time seeing things. And if you put a reel together of what Mayfield did, and he was great last year, most of his successful plays came when he got out of the pocket. When he could get, when he had to get out and see things, and he made some unbelievable throws. And I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's hard to continually do that. And I think there's a quarterback in the game right now, and I believe that also Breeze does the same thing. When you're a short quarterback like that, Mike, and you've got sometimes deficiencies in your offensive line, I think you just said it perfectly. You have to create passing lanes for yourself because if you're going to sit back there and you're going to be a seven-step drop guy and you're below six feet, that's not going to work. So you drop nine steps instead of seven steps. You move around in the pocket and you go laterally. You don't go horizontally because, again, if you're going to be running up the field, you're going to start taking on hits like Cam Newton. But the difference there is that Cam Newton's 6'6", 265 pounds, and he's going to weather some of those hits. And even in his career right now, you're starting to see late in the year, like last year, right? He got out to a phenomenal start, but then he started getting beat on, and as he got more beat on, you started seeing the passes go high. You started seeing interceptions. You started seeing the inconsistency in the passing game. This is what these running quarterbacks run into, no? No doubt. And I think if, if Cam gets hurt, the body that he has, you know it's going to be a challenge for this quarterback at this size to stay healthy. And Kenny, is he really 207? And how much speed does he have at 207? I, I think there's no doubt. Uh, that, that to me, is going to be the question mark that comes in. Is uh, You know, he's three pounds more than Russell Wilson did at the Combine. So people are going to say with that. But Wilson was, 10, was 5'10 and a quarter. And he went in the third round. You're talking about a whole different situation. Man, I think it's a problem. I think 5'10 and a sliver is a problem. There were question marks about Drew Brees and how he could handle things. And he is two inches taller than Kyler Murray. Questions about the height of Baker Mayfield. And he's two and a half inches taller than Kyler Murray. Even Russell Wilson, who dropped to the third round, measured in at 5'10 and 5'8. Kyler, 5'10 and 1'8". I think that there's major question marks surrounding not only Kyler Murray's size, but also his gameplay and his frame and how that translates to the NFL. And as I pointed out on my show, this is like when you get a stock tip from a friend that he says, you just got to throw down $50,000. And you go, sounds like a good stock tip. Maybe it really booms for you. But I don't have 50K to throw down because I got to get this thing right. Same thing with a first-round pick, especially a top five or top ten pick which Kyler Murray might go as. I'm not spending a top five or top 10 pick on a quarterback that I've got to worry about that much with his size and his height. And finally, let's play a little this date in sports history. On KFH Wichita Sports, they gave us this date, February the 28th. And we've got a landmark moment in televised sports and on the valuation of a professional franchise. All right, on this day in history, in 1940, 
February 28th. First televised basketball game. You know, I'm not even sure I realized televisions were in existence at that time. I I thought they they didn't even come into existence until the early 50s, but I'm obviously I'm wrong. Pittsburgh beat Fordham apparently on TV. I don't know what channel it was on. 50 to 37 was your Is final. That, so yeah. it was a college game. It wasn't it was even a college an, game. it wasn't even an NBA game. That's what it says? I did not know that. I did not know. Speaking of Bryce Harper, kind of, and are the Philadelphia Phillies in the mix for his services? On this day in 1903, Barney Dreyfus and James Potter bought the Phillies for $170,000. Well, at the time, that seemed like a lot of money, I'm sure. I mean, in 1903. But I'll tell you what, what a great... Bryce Harper would make $170,000 in probably 45 minutes. Yeah, he would, he'd he make more than that per game, for goodness sake. Easily sakes. per game. Per yeah. game. Hey, by the way... Yeah. What's an average baseball franchise worth nowadays? Two billion, three billion? I think it's in the B's, yeah. Yeah, I know it's, I know it's in the B's. Probably, mm-hmm. let's say it's three billion. So in other words, you're going to give Bryce Harper about 20% of what the value of your franchise, the net equity of your, of your franchise. That's why I'm not the, doing it. Yeah. That's why I'm not doing it, man. Okay. I got you. I just, I, I just ask him because. If it's the number that you're talking about, it would certainly be have to spread out over Nine or ten years, yeah, right? Right. I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. I don't want to. I do don't it. blame you. Nope. 1967, the Big Dipper, Wilt Chamberlain, made his 35th consecutive field goal. The record at the time, I can't imagine it's been broken, make 35 no. straight. Yeah, but but they were all from about six inches. Yeah, that's possible. No, it's, no, it's more than possible. Possi- it's, okay, probable. it's probable. Probable, yes. May have all been dunks. They could have been. They probably were. <laughs> But that's a kick-ass record. That 30, is not, and a record that will not be broken. Thirty-five. That's one back. of those records that won't be broke. Calvin Murphy set an NBA record on this day in 1981. He made 78 consecutive free throws. Unbelievable. By the way, where did he go to college? Do you see if you remember? Niagara. Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. That is exactly correct. That's got to be the uh, crown jewel of Niagara. Oh, it's got to be. Right? It's got to be. It's got to be. Oh, you remember where you were in 1940? The first time a basketball game was on your TV screen, you're sitting at home enjoying a little Ovaltine, and there's a 50 to 37 college basketball game. Nothing like it. Just think how far we've come with flat screens and Wi-Fi and smart TVs and instant replays and DVRs and ice cold beers that you can get right out of the fridge instead of waiting for some oxen to drag it down the street and put it on an ice chest. And how about the cost? Of the Philadelphia Phillies more than 100 years ago. I would say that's a decent ROI return on investment. That will do it for us today for February the 28th. The best in your sports talk. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.